You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Support for this show is brought to you by the new Audible true crime original, Call Me God, the untold story of the DC sniper investigation. From the leading true crime investigative team that brought you the New York Times bestseller, Evil Has a Name comes this new riveting probe into the manhunt for the elusive D.C. snipers. Hear the never-before-told story of the chilling and volatile investigation that led to the killer's capture, ending an unprecedented 23-day reign of terror that paralyzed the D.C. area and gripped the nation as a whole. Told firsthand by those essential to solving the case, and including a fascinating look into the behavioral, ballistic, forensic, and electronic analysis it required, Join FBI agent brothers Jim Clemente and Tim Clemente as they lead us through the tangled path of discovery and evidence gathering that only a select few had the vision to see. Call Me God, the untold story of the D.C. sniper investigation. How do you stop what you can't see? Listen free with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash untold story. I jumped in my car and I raced down there, lights and sirens. And I arrive in the parking lot outside of the Michaels craft store. I'm pulling into the parking space and I glance to my left. I see another similar vehicle that I recognize pulling up. And it happens to be my brother, Jim. So the first thing I did when I got here was speak to the sheriff. The actual sheriff of Spotsylvania County was here on scene. I asked him if he had a list of witnesses, and he said, no, there were no witnesses. And I said, there's 3,000 cars in this parking lot. There had to be some witness. And he said, well, there's one kid, about a 19-year-old, but he's a liar. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, we've dealt with him before. He's a liar. 
And I said, well, what did he say? He said he saw an African-American guy with an Afro peel out in a dark sedan. And he thought that's where the shot came from. And I said, great. Did you put out an APB on that? And he said, no, I put out an APB on the white van, just like Chief Moose told us. Frustrated that the sheriff has not put an APB out for the dark sedan, Jim turns his focus to the crime scene. The shooting victim is 43-year-old Caroline Sewell, who at 2.30 p.m. pulled her minivan into the parking lot of Michael's Craft Store in Fredericksburg, Virginia. With Halloween only three weeks away, she came to buy decorations, including a funny scarecrow for her kids. Carolyn Sewell walked out of this Michael store with a couple of packages. She walked over to her minivan that was parked right here in front of the store, and she was loading her packages into the tailgate of the minivan. And as she's closing the back gate... Caroline Sewell is shot in the back. She fell down right there behind the tailgate of her van. Caroline Sewell is rushed to the hospital in critical condition, but she becomes the first sniper victim to survive. The bullet went through her and went into the van. And so I looked at the angle of entry and turned around and sighted a tall sign for one of the restaurants out in the distance and then started walking off steps. I noticed that they had the crime scene set up, which was only about 50 yards away from where the shooting had actually occurred. But I kept walking it out. I'm going to set out a 100-yard grid to search the area to see if there's any shell casings or any other forensic evidence that we might be able to find around this crime scene. Jim walks about 87 yards away from Sewell's van and stops at a traffic median at the edge of the parking lot. To his right is the driveway entrance to the mall. Past that is the entrance to Interstate 95. I notice a 223 shell casing laying on the ground right here against the curb. I immediately had the ATF agent go and tell the sheriff, bring them out here, get their forensics people here, and move all the press and spectators way back. Because at this point, they were between the crime scene and where the victim was shot. This was an incredibly significant find because it made it appear that the shooter was most likely in a vehicle. All he had to do was make a left-hand turn there, and I-95 is just a couple of hundred yards down the street. It's the perfect location if you want a rapid getaway to an interstate highway that could get you 100 miles away in an hour. In fact, that's probably why this location was chosen in the first place. The shell casing could be a very significant piece of evidence, and time is of the essence. So Jim requests an FBI helicopter fly here immediately and rush the shell casing back to the lab for testing. But in 2002, the FBI laboratory does not yet have the capability to lift a fingerprint off an expired shell casing. I hear a chopper flying in low overhead. And the FBI's hostage rescue team chopper lands in a grassy area just beyond where I had found that shell casing. They came so they could fly the evidence back to the forensic laboratory to test it to see whether or not it was actually from the same sniper or the same sniper rifle. It was at that time, I'm realizing 
that this sniper is dancing around Washington, D.C., the biggest media market in the world. He's dealing with small-town police and sheriff's jurisdictions that don't have the manpower or the forensic capability to actually do an overwhelming job in this case. He's still getting all the press and coverage, but he's not having to deal head-to-head with the FBI. And to me, that changed the profile significantly. That added a detail that I wanted to share with my colleagues. I hurry back to the BAU to download all the information that Tim and I got from the scene to all my colleagues in the profiling unit. And we start a very deep and intense discussion about who this sniper might be and his potential motivations. We began at this point developing media strategies to be used so that law enforcement could communicate with the sniper and try to lower the probability that he would shoot more people. Whatever his grievance is, we want the sniper to know that we hear him. One way to do that is actually to give him the power. We scripted things for the police to say, like, whatever happens now is in God's hands. God only knows why this person is killing people. So that we would imply that the person pulling the trigger did have the power of God. 